Welcome to From City to the World. I'm your host, Vince Goudreau, the president of the City College of New York. From City to the World is a show about how the work that we're doing at City College matters to people across the city and throughout the world. We'll be discussing the practical implications of our research in solving real-world issues like poverty, homelessness, mental health challenges, affordable housing, and disparities in health care and immigration. Now today, um, we're going to be talking about giving back to the communities. And every year, it doesn't matter where you pray or what you believe or where you come from, as the days start to get shorter and the nights get a little bit colder and holidays start to creep up, um, people start thinking about giving to others, um, giving presents to others, but also serving their communities. We are a few days past the celebration of Thanksgiving yesterday was Giving Tuesday, a day when um, philanthropists around the country take a special moment to, to try to donate to causes that matter to them. And so today we have a number of guests, a number of topics of discussion that highlight the ways in which people at City College and people around us in our community are giving back to the community. So our guest today, uh, first of all, um, our first guest is from CCNY's Public Safety Department, and then we have two from organizations, uh, from an organization here in Harlem called Brothers in Recovery. And what they have in common is that they are both pursuing direct action programs that address some of the challenges that people face both here at the college and in the community at large. So the first half of the show, we'll have CCNY's Assistant Director of Public Safety, Lieutenant Anthony LaPeruda, and he's going to tell us about some of the workshops and events the public safety sponsors to promote safety and goodwill on campus and in the community and, and, and also talk a little bit more broadly about the way the orientation of our public safety office has directed itself um, towards uh, community service. Second half of the show, we will have two members of an organization here in Harlem called Brothers in Recovery, and I'll probably be referring to that as BIR, that's how most people call them, and they'll join the conversation. Reginald Mitchell and Henry Porcher will tell us about BIR substance abuse workshops and other events that they uh, promote to support a positive drug-free lifestyle among men in the recovery process. But I want to start off today's show by talking a little bit about City College and, and its, uh, its activities that give back to the community. And I'll start by saying this, you know, I've always thought working at a public college should mean more then, you know, we're just public in the sense that our money comes from the public, from the state. I've always thought that being a public college means that you're a public institution, and, and that should orient the way we teach and the way we do research and the way we write and the way we deploy our resources to, to community concerns. You know, there was a time in our country where when people had problems or issues they needed to sort through, they would come to the universities and use the resources of the universities to solve some of those problems. Um, and these days, more often than not, you hear people working through these sorts of issues online, on the internet, uh, on, on, on uh, is talking heads on, on TV shows. And I think that's a problem. I think we really need to reorient universities and college, and City College in particular, towards providing service to the communities. And so one of the things that we are working on at, at college, we received a generous donation uh, a couple months ago from the Zahn family. They work out of the Moxie Foundation. And they gave us a, a, a donation to help us establish City College as a change maker campus. And when they say change maker, what they mean is, you know, our, 
our students are going to learn sociology and they're going to learn architecture and they're going to learn engineering, but it's a little different to educate them in how you approach, how you identify a problem and how you approach making a positive change in the world around you. So being a changemaker campus means we will be teaching more in partnership with community organizations. It means that faculty members will be asking students not just to learn a curriculum, but to solve problems. And, and very soon it will mean that our classes and our research will be reaching more into the community. And the vehicle that we've organized on campus to facilitate, that is the Campus Engagement Network. But that network will be reaching out to um, the world you know, at our doorstep and across the city to help work with our students to identify problems and make sure that as we educate our young people, we're educating them into the knowledge of service that they can provide that, that, that's relevant. So that's, that's kind of the first thing I wanted to talk about to sort of set the stage of what CCNY is doing in this area as an institution. And now I'd like to uh, turn attention to Lieutenant La Peruta. I'll tell you a little bit about him first. Uh, Lieutenant Anthony La Peruta is the Assistant Director of Public Safety, and he's also the Director of Investigations here at City College. CCNY's Public Safety Department works to ensure a safe environment here where students and faculty and staff can work and learn and live, but they also work to make sure that City College has a good relationship with our neighbors. La Peruta is best known in his public presentations for active shooter presentations that he gives on campus and to churches and organizations and communities throughout New York City. Unfortunately, we're living in a time when the, the possibility that someone might come into your place of work or your place of worship and threaten your life or the life of somebody with you, um, those possibilities have been on the rise, uh, both statistically and, and in some of the dangers that we face. And Lieutenant La Peruta has worked with other members of the City College Public Safety to train people to, to be able to respond to that situation so that they can resolve it even if you know, the police are not anywhere nearby. Uh, and, and so you know, I've personally gone through the active shooter training. It, it gives you skills and an awareness that you might not get anyplace else. And, and, and frankly, if you are in a community where you're surrounded by people that have that kind of knowledge, you're in a safer community. Um, Lieutenant La Peruta gave a gripping presentation of this active shooter uh, training during WHCR's Emergency Preparedness Day, which was held here in September. Um, Lieutenant, welcome to From City to the World. Thank you, Vince. I wanted to start off, um, before we get into the specific trainings that you offer, I wanted to start off by talking about the kind of larger orientation of CCNY uh, public safety. It's almost, a, it's almost a small police force on campus, uh, but one of the things that I know you personally in the department as a whole have been working on is moving your policing model more in the direction of a kind of community policing model. And, and maybe we can start by you just discussing what that means and, 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 and what it's meant to you and the people you work with. Sure. Well, campus policing is much different than the municipal police department, like the New York City Police Department. The New York City Police Department, as we all know, it's the police department overall for New York City. We provide safety and security for the community of City College mm -hmm. and the surrounding area. It's very important to have a great relationship with the outside mm -hmm. neighbors, just as, as long as our inside the City College community. 
what we do is campus policing, community policing. Mm -hmm. We want to educate students, faculty, staff, and the local surroundings community what we're about. We want to make sure everyone's safe in the community just as well. It's very important to interact with the students, get to know them. We're their family, with the faculty, with the staff. We're part of the City College CUNY family. Mm -hmm. Some people have a different outlook in law enforcement and security as the enemy. We're not. We want to be, again, known as part of their family. They want to come up, talk to us about personal issues. Just come up and talk to us. Mm -hmm. We want an open-door policy in public safety. We want to get to know the students. If we have a problem, we can solve issues quicker than letting it get to another level where we have to get the police department involved, the DA's office involved. So we're trying to keep working together within the community. That's one of the most important things, I believe, in public safety and in, in the college campus world is building that relationship with the community, mainly the students, faculty, and staff. Yeah. You know, when I first came into this job, you and I went on uh, a couple of community visits. We visited a number of churches, um, went to some of the events hosted by the local precincts. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those relationships, how we built them, why they've been important to, to City College, and, and, and what do you think the neighborhood should be able to look for as we build these relationships with them? Well, again, the outside community is a lot, big part of this City College. We're in the community of Harlem. Right. Having the outreach with the local police department, with the local churches, the local uh, clergy, it's very important because if we need something or they hear something, they come to us. Mm -hmm. We build that bonding, we work together, and they look at us in a different light than just being separate from the community outside City College. They feel like they're family with us. They can pick up the phone, they can call your office, they can call public safety, they can call someone and say, hey, you know, remember me from uh, the community council meeting? I needed help in a neighborhood. The lighting is kind of down. They might have reached out to another organization who didn't help them, so maybe they reach out to us. So we try to help them just as well. So building that bonding and building that community relationship is very important between CCNY and the outside community. Mm -hmm. Another thing that's a, that's a big part of this, this work that you do is providing education and training. And, and as I said earlier, the training you're, you are most personally known for is the active shooter training. And, and maybe we start by talking about that. If I go to an active shooter training, what is it that I should expect to learn? Well, what we're teaching active shooter is we're not teaching them how to fight bullets or dodge bullets. Right. We're preparing you, God forbid, you're in a situation you can't get out and how to prevent you from becoming a victim. So what I've learned in the beginning of my training, about five years ago I started this here at CCNY, I've seen that a lot of people are not interested in active shooter as a Crime statistics show or statistics show in high rising active shooting. Now we're getting a lot of in, you know calls for it. Educating the community what to do is important. So God forbid we do have an emergency, and it doesn't have to be here at City College. It can be at a mall, a church, uh, a vacation resort. It can be anywhere. It's happening everywhere now. Movie theaters. So we're preparing and educating faculty, students, and staff, and the outside community. God forbid you're in a situation where you can't get out. You either hide or fight. If you can get out, we want you to run. Get the police, get public safety to get assistance. But again, we're teaching them things that are not rocket science, mm -hmm. things that they, it's in their system, it's in their body already, I should say, that they know how to fight. It's not, we're teaching them ninja stuff mm -hmm. or anything of that nature. But again, it's very important is to educate them to, to defend themselves if they're in a situation where they can't get out.
You know, I did uh, a little while ago, you weren't the trainer, but a number of people from the public safety team did a CPR training for us. And before we went into the details of, you know, what you do if you encounter somebody who's in distress, we watched a little film about people that had had this training. And each one of them said the same thing, that they had this training in their background. They never thought they would use it. And then a, a, a situation arose. In one case, it was a woman with a daughter. In another, it was somebody walking down the street and a man collapsed in front of her. And they all said the same thing, that when faced with a situation, all of a sudden their training kicked in. And so, you know, I imagine a lot of people wander around wondering how they would respond to, you know, a, a medical emergency, uh, an incident of violence. But I, I, I guess what you're saying is by providing this training, you don't have to be a superhero. You need to kind of know what to do and then let your instincts take over. Absolutely. Yeah. Most of the active shooters are mostly stopped by civilians, regular people, not, not police officers, not military personnel, civilians that mostly stop these active shooters. But like you said, it's, you know, the normal person that actually stops these things and, gets into, and the training kicks right in. Uh, let me ask you, you, you've now done a lot of these. Yes. And, and you, I went to one that you did on campus for the campus community. Can you talk about the other places that you've, you've done this and what people's reactions are or questions when, when, you, when you do an active shooter training? <clears throat> We've been asked uh, from, you know, at, they've called CCNY, asked that we heard about our uh, active shooter for civilians prep you know, preparation. Mm -hmm. They asked we could go to their churches, local private schools, local schools, and we've recently been going to numerous amounts to help them out, some of us on our own time on weekends, and we're teaching them what to expect, God forbid, there's a situation in a church, especially what happened recently in, in Pittsburgh. Yes. We began a lot of inquiries if we could come to their churches mm -hmm. and, and teach. So the response we're getting is unbelievable. They're so happy. They leave there with so much knowledge they felt. They mm -hmm. feel that now they're prepared. Yeah. And I pray they are prepared. And from that education and the training I did for them, I'm praying that they take it with them and God forbid they have to have to use this in a real-life situation. Yeah, you know, the overarching theme of the conversation today is how we give back to our communities, and part of that means taking care of your community. And, you know, what I learned when I went through the active shooter training is it's not just me and an active shooter. You know, if, you know, one or two people with training and the capacity to bring that into action means that you're actually protecting the people that, that are behind you. And so often you think about these scenarios as, as someone with a weapon coming into a space where there's rooms and hallways, and behind doors there are people seeking shelter, trying to find safety. And, and, and so you know, members of the community that are prepared to meet that threat meet that threat on behalf of their community. It's, it, it's actually a, it's an incredibly generous thing to put yourself in a position of knowing how to, how to do that work. Yes. Um, you don't just do trainings. Um, I mentioned CPR, we talked about active shooter, but the public safety department d does a lot of other things. I, we have a toy drive. We do a lot of outreach, uh, toy drives. We do, uh, we just, during, during Thanksgiving, we helped out the Convent Avenue Church up on 145th Street. Uh, we had members of the department go over and help serve food mm -hmm. to the seniors. Um, we're planning, preparing one coming up in December with the 30th precinct and the senior citizen Christmas party. Mm -hmm. 
We also uh, we did toy drives uh, last year with Puerto Rico mm -hmm. uh, during the Hurricane Maria. Afterwards, we did three Kings Day for Puerto Rico. Now, did you did you go down to Puerto Rico? You you, you were. We attempted to try and go down. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, we had a snowstorm, and right. we couldn't make it. Uh, but we ended up having another agency, the New York St uh, State Court Office of Latino Society, work together with us and uh, my staff, and we were able to bring the toys down uh, through ships uh -huh. and got them down there, and we reached out to the fire department. We had some contracts, contacts, I'm sorry, out in Puerto Rico, and they were able to get the toys out to the families in need of uh, you know, of toys out there for the children in the Isabella section of, uh, of Puerto Rico. Uh -huh. And a firefighter out there that I know personally reached out with the uh, Latino Officer Society and they picked up the toys and brought them out and it was a really beautiful thing. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, another of the workshops you offer is a domestic violence awareness workshop. And you could talk a little bit about yes. that? <clears throat> we, my officers were all trained in domestic violence and sexual assault awareness and when asked, we go out and we do presentations. Uh, sometimes we just do it doing club hours. Some students are interested. And uh, we talk about what is domestic violence, how to report it, uh, how if they need help uh, getting shelter, if they need a place to live because of domestic violence incidents, if, they need, uh, if they're not sure how to go about getting help, they come to us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times after we do our presentations, we'll get someone, one or two people come up to us, can I speak to you because they're embarrassed. Yeah. And they ask us, could we speak? And they come private to us and we talk and we try and get them help either through Safe Horizon, through different uh, through counseling center in the college. Mm -hmm. It's a big help for us just as well. And we try and get them help. If there's order of protections involved, we tell them how to give us a copy of it so we have an idea who this person may be in case he or she comes onto the campus so that officers are aware. Mm -hmm. Sexual assault and awareness, the same thing. We teach, we talk with the residence hall uh, assistants uh, in the towers. We do this workshop uh, every semester with them just as well and educate the RAs and also with the RAs and their floors. If they do a sexual assault awareness, we talk about that just as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm going to ask you a question that may not be a fair question, but I'll yeah. ask it anyways. You know, you, you work with a fairly large staff of officers, many of whom I presume come to the job primarily trained in the policing aspect of the work. You know, they're primarily trained to be security mm -hmm. officers. And yet there's this whole other portfolio that gets opened up to them when they join public safety. And do you have a sense of, of, of how the men and women that work in public safety respond to that? Is this something they're excited about and they enjoy doing? My, my officers love engaging with the community. Every time we do a workshop or we do uh, an outreach, I try and kick new individuals, new officers, I should say, and give experience. And they come back, lieutenant. We loved it. We, we enjoyed it. Oh, we want to do more of that. Mm -hmm. It builds up a lot of their morale. It builds up the confidence in the officers. It builds up that relationship with the community. It makes them feel positive of themselves mm -hmm. when they're helping the community. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, 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 been a big, um, it's been a big evolution that I've seen in, in the way that CCMI Public Safety uh, does its job. It's always been a very professional force. But this broader embrace of community policing and public service has been, um, I think, one of the most exciting developments on campus. And, 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 and you've been a real moving force in that. So I want to thank you for Thank it. you. And you've been great and supportive to us, too. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about something that departs a little bit from, from the public safety uh, program of activity. And that's, you know, City College has a food pantry. We've had it for about two years. And I want to tell the story of, of how it came to be. 
about uh, three or four years ago, we had invited a woman named Eileen Truax uh, from the West Coast, and we had done a, a, a panel on immigration. And she writes a book called The Dreamers, where she talks about the lives of, of students who are undocumented students, but they were in line for DACA, they're in line to, to be considered you know, part of the DREAM Act if we ever get a DREAM Act. And she's looking at these students on the campus of UCLA, and she, she, she talks about two or three of them one day coming onto campus and going down a hallway and opening a door, and behind that door is a food pantry that's provided for by the UCLA community. And, and she tells the story to make the point that we literally don't know as we walk through the halls or the streets or our neighborhoods. The face of urban hunger in America is not the face of famine in a, in a developing country. You, you, you probably have no idea who around you needs food. And, and her point was, particularly for people whose immigration status was tenuous, their lives are in so many other ways hidden lives that the idea of them carrying the added burden of secret hunger was intolerable on that campus, and so they built a food pantry. And we at City College, um, the Colin Powell School and NYPIRG, which is the New York Public Interest Research Group, we were so moved by that that in 1979, we decided to create a food pantry of our own on campus to address this issue. Um, its pantry is open um, Monday through Friday um, from 10 a.m. to... It's, Officially, we say 10 a.m. to 4, 4 p.m., but typically if you show up at 5 or 6, there's probably somebody there to, to help you out. It's on the sixth floor of the North Academic Complex on the west side of, uh, of the building. Um, it's in NAC 6145. And I should say that on, on, on most days, you make an appointment to, to come in, but on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you can come in kind of without an appointment anonymously if you have any kind of embarrassment about putting your name down for, for, for needing this kind of assistance. We try to protect the, the, the privacy of the people that need it. Something that's really interesting about this food pantry is as we have collected donations, and the donations come from faculty and staff and students here, one of the things we've noticed is the same people that often need food from the food pantry are the ones that are donating food. You know, our, our, our students in particular live lives where often we don't have stable um, income week to week, and so there's moments when you have you, you have uh, resources you can donate, and, and moments when you need those resources. Um, and so anyone listening to this broadcast can donate non-perishable foods, and I want to I want to emphasize that non-perishable. We had somebody uh, bring a turkey there. We have no refrigeration for that, but you know you want to bring food that is going to be safe on the shelf for people to donate. So we're talking about canned goods and dry goods. You can also uh, give a monetary donation and bring that to NAC 6145, and that's located right here on campus, 138th Street and Convent Avenue in the North Academic uh, uh, Complex, uh, and that's on the sixth floor. And, you know, we, as I said, we organized this food pantry in 2017, but just this year... Governor Cuomo has initiated a new policy that all CUNY and SUNY schools will need to host food pantries, and we're proud to be one of the earliest pantries in the CUNY system. So that's another way in which, you know, I want to emphasize this. The food pantry gets a little bit of institutional support from the college, but by and large, this is an act of the community for the community. 
So students, faculty are, the do are, are those who donate, staff donate, and um, we're trying to make sure that as much as possible, students who come to school hungry don't have to leave hungry. Um, soon City College will partner with the Food Bank in New York, and that partnership will help us expand the program. So we are going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will have our two guests from Brothers in Recovery join the conversation with us. I'm pleased now to welcome Reginald Mitchell and Henry Porcher, and they are from Brothers in Recovery. We're going to talk about that as BIR. I guess that's how you're most commonly known. And I'm happy to join them into the conversation we've been having with Lieutenant Anthony LaPeruda. So BIR is a nonprofit organization formed back in 1988 to provide information and resources for men in recovery from substance abuse. Their goal is to promote and support strong family units, which will in turn bring about strong communities. So along with other BIR members, they also co-host community affairs show on WHCR called Another Perspective on WHCR on Fridays from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. So I guess I don't have to tell you guys how to use a microphone. No, it just, just feels a little strange being on this side. I, I do know. I do both what Angela does as well. Well, we can switch if you want. That's, that's fine with <laughs> no, me. No, it's cool. Gentlemen, welcome to From City to World. I'm really happy to have you both here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Maybe just on background, you could give us a, a little insight into how um, BIR was founded. It's, it's a... It's a 30-year-old organization. That's, that's quite a record. Yeah, well, well uh, Brothers in Recovery was uh, started as uh, uh, one of the guys, uh, Jamil uh, Houston, his wife went on a retreat, and when she mm -hmm. came back, she mentioned to him that, you know, him and the guys who were his close associates, they should uh, go on a retreat. So uh, Jamil uh, Houston and, and Yusef White, Raheem Burton and um, uh, Bill Sammy and, and right. Abdul Malik, mm -hmm. they said, well, let's start a, re a men's uh, sp uh, spiritual retreat. Right. And that's how it, it uh, was formulated. Right. That's how it started. Right. Oh, fantastic. Because basically it was just a, a spiritual retreat, just uh -huh. a men's spiritual retreat. There were workshops involved with seminars and guest speakers and, you know, lodging and Meals, a lot of food. A lot of food. Yes, mm -hmm. and that's how it basically started. That was it, mm -hmm. in a nutshell. So when did you embrace your particular mission of helping men in recovery? Well, um, I went on, the first time I went on, on the uh, Brothers in Recovery retreat was in 1991. Mm -hmm. And over a period of time, because they started out originally as a, an organization for men recovering mm -hmm. from substance abuse. Right. That's, how it, 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 that's how it was. And, and from 88 to 99, we're at Mount Alvernia, which is in Wabacha Falls. That was a monastery, and they did the retreat there. Mm -hmm. And then I think in 99, uh, Mount Alvernia, they downsized. Okay. And at that time, we had uh, quite a number of guys. So uh, we went to Betty Shabazz, uh, in, I think that was in somewhere, but it's upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And we were there for two years. And it was a... a facility that was in a lot of disrepair and it was hadn't been uh, the upkeep was hadn't been uh, hadn't been well well upkept uh -huh. and um, and then we went to 80 farm 80 farms in uh, 02 I think yes and 80 farm is uh, it's a Christian retreat conference and, and it was different because mm -hmm. monastery there's no TV, right. there's no basketball court, but at 80 Farm, that's, that's what it was. And 80 Farm is, is in uh, Sparrowsbush, uh, New York, okay. and it's right there on the Delaware River. 
Right. And it's uh, New York here, Pennsylvania on the other side, and the eddy is the river where the, right. you know, the currents are going in, uh, in opposite directions. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were there for, we've been there we've ever been since, there 17 since. years. Right, right. And, and, but, but what happened in, I think, 2003, we mm -hmm. incorporated. Right. Okay. And we started doing other things other than just uh, the, uh, an annual spiritual retreat. In fact, we started having a weekly men's support group. Mm -hmm. and, and so all of those came up in terms of we looked at our past, what, uh, you know, and, and what, what things that had happened. And we felt that we, we owed. Yeah. But, but, but what about... Um when did the mission statement come involved? The so mission statement that, came that's, that's as a result we, of the corporation. Once right. we incorporated, we got the 501c3, right. then we came up with a mission statement, which was a mission is to inspire, right. encourage, and support what? the transitional growth of individuals, families, and... Well, families and communities. Spiritually, mentally, mentally and physically, and, and economically. And, and, so and, that and that's, was... Right, and that's how this other stuff started, because, you know, when you're looking at your mission statement... You can't just be like, okay, this is it. We're just going to do a men's retreat, and our mission statement says that we should be doing much more. Mm -hmm. So we had to really look at that mission statement and start incorporating the families, communities, financially, spiritually, and other stuff. As our weekly meetings evolve, ideas, brainstorming start coming up like, you know, hey, we have, a, we have our own space. Mm -hmm. There are people walking by, looking in here, seeing us in here. They're wondering what we're doing you know, why are they in here and stuff like that. So that's how all that stuff started evolving mm -hmm. as far as we got to go out to the community. You know, right. we, we can't say we're a community organization and not go into the community. Yeah. So, you know, the spiritual retreats is going to live forever. Right. Because mm -hmm. that's how we started. But as far as helping families, because we all have families, right. and some of us families are torn apart, whatever the case may be, but the community at large was out there wondering who we were. And, and I guess, is, so then is this the moment when you adopted the mission statement that the, that the idea of specifically focusing on recovery became the animating feature? Or was that always a part of what you well, were Well, it was, a, we, we'd always been about yes, recovery. recovery. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> and, and, and what happened uh, after we had came up with the mission statement and mm -hmm. over a period of time, then we started, uh, like Reggie was saying, started going into uh, community cookouts, uh, uh, toy drives, coalitions, collaborations with, with other organizations. organizations. Right. We've been doing mm -hmm. uh, peace marches yes. uh, because it was a while where, and particularly in, in, in Manhattan and Harlem, there were a lot of uh, uh, youth violence. Yes, and y y you know, so um, so we started uh, uh, co uh, coalescing with you know, these different groups and doing peace marches and. Mm -hmm. and um, speaking to groups, uh, going up to schools, making presentation yes. to the youth, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, trying to get involved with the community because, yes. it, it, like we talked about in terms of our mission is when people are, are caught up in substance abuse, 
it, it, it affects everything. It's not just that person who's using drugs or whatever they're using. It's, it's, it's a residual effect where it just goes right through the family. Mm-hmm. And so you destabilize the family. But when people come into recovery, then that's when you're able to bring stability and structure back to that family. And then you can do that to the community. So that's the whole goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, early on when, as president, we... Uh, in fact, public safety brought me to one of the local churches. Mm-hmm. And I listened to one of the pastors talk about the 25-year the, the history of, of advocacy that, that church groups have mm-hmm. brought at a time, you know, starting at a time when, in his words, you know, we didn't own the streets. The, you know, the streets were, you know, the sun went down and the streets were dangerous. Mm-hmm. And people of faith, you know, linked to the churches, got together and said, you know, this is intolerable and we're not going to let it. Stan, I imagine you all were part of that. That well, that well, well. My view on it is that I did a lot of damage to these very streets. Okay. So, so as as me running through these very streets, whether it was the South Bronx, Harlem, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. wherever, you know, I was taking. Yeah. I wasn't giving nothing back. Yeah. I was constantly taken from these streets. Yeah. So when I got myself together through the grace of God, and and I realized that wait a minute, and I got involved with BIR, and I was like, wait a minute, we owe. Yeah. We owe these same streets. Yeah. Now, some of our homes may not get as, as great, but we are getting better. Mm-hmm. And in return, we don't have to run through them streets uh, uh, taken anymore. We can start giving back. I mean, it's an interesting point. We talk mm-hmm. about, you know, we're talking in, about different ways of giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions is, like, who gives back? And who's the most effective person? And I imagine it's different when somebody who's run through the streets turns around and comes back to those same people and Absolutely. say, could you talk a little bit about, about your path? Okay, I come from a family of eight boys and six girls oh, wow. in the South Bronx. My mother was an alcoholic, stone drunk, okay? okay? And my brothers sold drugs, and basically that's all the lifestyle I saw. Mm-hmm. So as I grew up, I would eventually wind up in that lifestyle through the horrors that I've seen as a child. You know, but I grew up, and um, I fell on my face flat, Mm-hmm. Someone lifted me up, offered me a hand, took the hand, and started on my journey mm-hmm. to recovery. But as I started on my journey, that's when the military came into play. I was already clean yeah. when I went into the Army. Gotcha. So the Army taught me a whole lot of values, uh-huh. you know, of working with other people and stuff like that. And um, as I came from the Army, I realized that, hey, there's something else I should be doing. And after I retired, I realized that I should be giving back. And so I started giving my life worth back to communities. I started my whole mission of helping others. Mm-hmm. You know, a friend of mine, you know, he was always helping others. And he, I mean, he was helping others so much, I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, they loved him. He was doing it for nothing. He was just helping, taking out of his pocket, asking people for donations, begging people for donations, asking for volunteers. And these people were doing whatever he said. And he said, Reg, you got to try this. And I tried it, and I've been involved with it ever since. And along with BRR, it's just a larger platform. And along with WACR, it's an even larger platform. And I'm 31 and a half years clean. Wow. So that's a lot of have to give back. But yeah, I have grandchildren and grown sons. Mm-hmm. Does it matter, you think, when, you, when you're sitting down with a young man who's maybe on the brink of, of, of making some bad decisions, does it matter? That, that you can say I've been there is, is is that part of it? The conversation. It should matter. It helps. Yeah, it helps. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it helps. helps. Yeah. I mean, because you, there's, there's an identification. That's right. 
right. uh, which is why uh, when we go, and, and one of the things that I learned from this is uh, Deacon uh, Ken Radcliffe, Radcliffe. And, and, and what he says, he asks, is there anybody in here whose life has not been affected by drugs, mm -hmm. either personally, a family member, or a friend? Mm -hmm. Raise your hand, and no hands go up. <laughs> so, so what happens in terms of, like, way before drugs, most 99%, if not 100% of the people are traumatized, mm -hmm. either by uh, single parent, mm -hmm. uh, uh, sexual molestation, mm -hmm. uh, uh, incarceration, uh, you've seen someone brutally assaulted or, or some violence has taken place, and there's, a, there's trauma. Yeah. And, and so, so everyone's going to try to, to uh, find some way to alleviate that trauma. That's right. And some, like we, we've told it's drugs. That's right. And, That's and right. no one's uh, uh, goal is to become an addict. Right. That is definitely not the plan. No. You right. know, you're right. just using this to try to, hey, I feel it makes me feel comfortable. But no one is, is, is planning on getting, uh, becoming a slave. And that's what happens. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so when we look and we see that the fact that we have recovered mm -hmm. and we're not the same person, mm -hmm. the people that we used to be, then we realize uh, we've done some damage. Yeah. You know, if had I listened to my parents, I'd probably be, be independently wealthy right now. Right. <laughs> That's good <laughs> you for know? you. Had I listened to my parents, I'd probably still be an alcoholic. <laughs> no, <man. laughs> Mom, I love you. God bless you. Rest your soul. No, but you know? yeah, we, we, that's where we come from. We, mm -hmm. you know, we come from different walks, but um, we wound up on the same block. Yeah. You know, and for the same cause. And, and working with Henry and BRR and and Angela giving us this opportunity to be on the radio. I mean, it's a larger platform to just get the message out there even more. Yeah. You know, we're not lonely, scared individuals anymore. You know, people see us, they hug us, they love us, they say thanks for that wonderful event that you put on the other day, totally free. Mm -hmm. You know, we do free events. You know, we just did a major Thanksgiving uh, cookout, uh, Thanksgiving dinner for the public, and we fed our few hundred people, you know, my guests today are Reginald Mitchell and Henry Porcher, and they're from an organization here in Harlem called Brothers in Recovery, better known as BIR. And I'm also still with Anthony, Lieutenant Anthony LaPeruta, who is CCNY's Assistant Director of Public Safety, and he's still with us as well. We're discussing ways that both organizations support college community, Harlem community, and beyond. And I want to start with that word with, with, with both of you, or all three of you. Um, I notice when I look at um, BIR's activities, you do a lot of work that's really all about constituting a community. You mm -hmm. pull people together around a table and you put food on that table and you build community. And, and we've been talking about the, the evolution of CCNY's policing strategy to a more community-based policing strategy where we want to have connections mm -hmm. with students but also people in the, you know, the churches and, 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 and local residents. And I'm, let, let's start by talking about that Thanksgiving dinner. It's a, it's a big deal, I know. It's, and it's, how, like, how important is that to your mission? Oh, wow, it's extremely important because it, 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 it gets us out to the public even more. Mm -hmm. You know, when they, when they find out who we are, they'd be like, oh, really? I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's a labor of love. Mm -hmm. And, and um, we usually have it at our facility. You know, we, I basically go around asking for volunteers mm -hmm. and for donations. Yeah. I do that for maybe the first two or three months before. And um, 
it works out really, really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you the people that come to eat, right? I mean, sometimes they have shopping carts full of bottles. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have bags full of whatever, just ordinary people off the streets who don't have a place to eat, but you see that look on their face when you give them a plate of food yeah. and you give them a hug. Yeah. And it is so wonderful. I mean, words can't describe when you're out in the community doing stuff in the community and people remember you. Now, they may see you two, three days later and say, you're that guy that was over there serving the community. I brought my family there. Mm -hmm. I said, yes, thank you for having a meal with us. We appreciate you. Well, the last two years, we've, uh, our office is on Edgecombe Avenue, Mm -hmm. which is off the main drag, but the last two years, we've been at the Pillars, which is a facility down on St. Nicholas between 125th and 124th. And so, so we have more exposure mm-hmm. yeah. because we're right there at 125th at the D train, and so we're like at a crossroads. And and so it's it's a, it's a great thing to be doing that. It, you know, it's just a matter of um, all of those things are just a part of of, of what we do. Right. You know, we 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 also do um, uh, uh, back to school uh, cookout. Yeah, cookouts. We do uh, community. Uh, uh, Right, the, the, the week after Labor Day, we do right. a community cookout. Right. Uh, we also have been working with this organization up in the Bronx, uh, mm-hmm. Forward South Bronx Coalition, and what they're dealing with is underage teenage drinking, and what and, and that comes about is because in many of the uh, the bodegas and a lot of the the uh, pharmacists in, in our in our communities, the alcohol. Oh, I should say the soft drinks are right next to the alcohol, same colors. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, the kids are—they uh, they don't see any 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 uh, damage, anything terrible, because it's all right right next to. And, and many times, a lot of children are exposed to alcohol in the house. Mm-hmm. I remember my mother saying, you know, giving me alcohol because mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of uh, families have the theory it's better to. You to dr- use whatever it is Here. in the house right. than mm-hmm. to be outside. outside with a stranger. No one wants their child to be addicted, right? But 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 there's so little information about the harms and the horrors of of, of substances mm-hmm. that people just don't understand what this is about. And, and so, um, so like I know I go went off from from the Thanksgiving, but I just <laughs> thought about it. I think yeah. it's important to look at, yeah. and, and I think that's in many of the communities, whereas. Uh, uh, they're you know they're trying to addict the the, the young people, mm-hmm. and, and that's what I think. I mean, I, I'm a I think a lot of, in terms of conspiracy a lot. Okay, because I just see things. I say these are uh, these are not un, these are not unintelligent people, yeah. mm-hmm. and so they know what the the possible the, the the effects of this could be. So when they start putting these things together, but it also seems like your your overarching philosophy is, um, you know. Let's 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 not necessarily even pay attention to where it comes from. Build a community, mm-hmm. and you'll squeeze it out. You know, yeah. and and, yeah, and, and particularly when you have um, men who have who have already gone down the yes. road to begin recovery, they they need that kind of support. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it's and it's important that the young people see that. You know, uh, my children uh, have never seen me use drugs because mm-hmm. my clean time is like. About their age, right. you know. I have clean time about their age, so they've never seen an ashtray in the house. They've never even seen a can of beer in the refrigerator. All they've seen was 
me involved with loving and caring people and wondering who is my father, this wonderful guy, you know, and they tell their friends and their friends be like, oh, Aaron, your father is fantastic. He comes to the school, you know, he comes there for career day. And, you know, and, and, and you can give some to the other families as well. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep it all for my family. You know, I can spread my, my goodness through my friends. And they see my friends on the streets and they'll tell me, oh, Dad, I saw one of your buddies from BIR. You know, they gave me a hug. Mm-hmm. Wow, isn't mm-hmm. that fantastic? Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and, it, and it spreads. Right. Well, one of the things I'd like to uh, uh, mention is because I always try to mention it, it's um, we, in addition to all the other activities we mm-hmm. do with the community, we also try to do things that will help ourselves. And, and, yes. and, and we do a weekly men's support group. That's okay. Right. That's right. And that is, for me, that's the meat and potatoes. Because what it does uh, when, historically, when men sit around, they start talking. They start talking about physicality. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about feelings. Right, it's true. We don't talk about feelings. Mm-hmm. We always talk about, did you see a man, mm-hmm. the, the touchdown, the <laughs> fight, the, yes. the, the, the dunk, all these, but, but never about feelings. We talk about stuff. Y- right. Yes. And, 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 and whereas you can get a group of women, they'll go in, in, into the doctor's office, any place, and they'll be from every ethnic background, and they'll be talking about feelings. Mm-hmm. They don't have mm-hmm. to know one another. So they're, they're, they're way ahead of us. Yeah. So, so one of the things, so that's what we try to do. We try mm-hmm. to do a, ma- a weekly men's support group. That's and right. I'm saying that to, to say that if you're doing something with some young people, mm-hmm. get same, same sex men and, 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 and make. And what we usually do, we say we, we, we don't want anybody to speak about anybody's question, anybody's religious preferences Gender. or sexual preference. Right. Because we, I, I'm just a person. I don't believe that stuff is like... Uh, when people say, well, uh, men are supposed to be with only women, and this, hey, that's not true. That's yeah. not true. But but I say that in terms of the support, mm-hmm. and, and you make them know we're here, and we're not here that's to right. judge anybody, we're not that's here right. to criticize anybody. It's mm-hmm. just love, uh, uh, support, compassion, and true concern. Mm-hmm. And then you can start, you could say, hey, what's happening with the here and now? This is what's happening. And then come up with some topics. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you, you'll start to see, whereas uh, we won't feel threatened. I remember when I was teaching high school, right? And a lot of the kids, they were not going into gym because they didn't want to change their clothes. In front of other members. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm thinking they might have been looking at these, these uh, movies where you see somebody in the penitentiary and they get molested. So, so a lot of the young people today are way, and I'm, I'm saying when I play basketball, you, you took a shower because you may be going to a dance with these kids today, they? So I think, <laughs> you know. They, they yeah, hygiene, <laughs> hygiene is a big issue for, for teenagers. Well, Trust me. Well, I mean, but it's okay. Yeah. I raised three sons. I do know. No, it's, you know, I think for everybody, that's, yeah. that's an age yeah. where, you're, you know, your, your body's changing. You're, you're right. incredibly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an age when, let's face it, we're not as nice to each other as we, as, as we are maybe when we're a little bit younger than that mm-hmm. or a little bit older than that. Yes. So mm-hmm. you're vulnerable. You're, yes. You're, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, I don't know anybody who's honest about their adolescence that doesn't have some story of being embarrassed or mortified about yes. one thing or another and, and, and being able to carve out a space mm-hmm. where... It's okay to talk about that. Right. Strikes me as, as as really important, and I see you do a lot. I mean, 
in some of the other work that you do, you do adolescent uh, prevention, mm -hmm. counseling, you're, you're, you're in now um, HIV and, and hep C testing as yes, well. Yes, we do workshops. We have, uh, yeah. we have folks come in who are expertise in that. You know, one of our nurses, one of, one of our brothers is a nurse. Uh-huh. And, yes. and and he he does the same day testing with HIV and Hep C, mm -hmm. and you get the results same day. Mm -hmm. So we we've had that, and, mm -hmm. and that's that's for the community. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So people, you know, try to tell people, well, you come in, and, and you know, because real important to be uh, tested. So you've really kind of um, over the years, and mm -hmm. maybe with that mission statement and beyond, you've just enlarged your portfolio and enlarged it and enlarged it. it and it, we will it, continue. And yeah, there's a lot more we haven't even scratched the surface with yet. I, yeah. You know, I'm going into politics myself. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> you know, well, you know, people with a background in service going into politics strikes listen, me as a really good idea, listen, right? Service, yeah. service work is fantastic, but it's got to be a labor of love. You got to do it because you really love doing it, yeah. not because you're going to get anything back from it. Yeah. So let me give you both a chance. I, I know you've got, you, you know, that th maybe give you an opportunity and, and Lieutenant LaPruda will start with you. Is there anything you want to kind of plug as far as opportunities for the community and uh, with public safety? If anybody's interested in any of our free workshops, uh, active shooter, uh, domestic violence, sexual assault awareness, uh, not only for CCNY, for the outside community just as well, mm -hmm. reach, to the department, reach to the Department of Public Safety. Mm -hmm. uh, you can reach, uh, ask for Lieutenant Anthony Laparuda, and you can reach us at 212-650-6911, and they will transfer you to me. And gentlemen, anything that, I mean, if, if somebody doesn't know how to get in touch with BIR, how do they find you? How do they well, learn about your work? You going well, to give them your number? Or I can number? give them my number. <laughs> I can give them uh, my number, too. Mine is... Uh, <laughs> Three four seven six six one one six three seven three four seven six six one one six three seven, and that would be the better way to uh, you know get the the contact with us. And um, my my love is is community service. So if you want to do some community service with me, I can always use volunteers. I mean community service is the best. I take young people, teenagers, old people, doesn't matter. And you can reach me, I'm Reggie Mitchell, you can reach me at 646-633-7539. That's 646-633-7539. If you want to do some community service, come on, hang out with me. I'll find some place for you. Fantastic. And for those of you listening on the radio, Lieutenant LaPerude is passing out his business card to these gentlemen. So we, 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 we expect there's going to be some yes. interaction oh, between, yeah. yes. between the organization. Listen, I want to thank you folks. Um, and I thank you listening to us. Thank you for listening to From City to the World. A special thanks to our guest, Lieutenant Anthony LaPerude, who is the Assistant Director of Public Safety, and Reginald Mitchell, Henry Porcher, from Brothers in Recovery. If you missed any part of this show, you can go to ccny.cuny.edu and search for uh, From City to the World, the name of the show. This show is produced by Angela Harden and yours truly, Vince Boudreau. The board operator is Angela Harden. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau. Actually, between Angela and I, we do most of the stuff for this show. I want to thank you for listening, and I'll see you next month for the next installation of From City to the World. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like what you're hearing? 
please make sure to subscribe on your podcast app of choice to From City to the World. And also, iTunes listeners, please make sure to rate and review to help new listeners find the show. But I mean, come on, be a little kind, would you?